0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of ADHD Mums. We have part two with Jasmine Meek. Now the first episode that we put out, we put at the end, who would like to hear more of Jasmine's journey? We got a majority yes, so here we are back again with Jasmine. If you are unfamiliar, Jasmine is a mum of two living in Brisbane of Bayside, a part-time psychology student and a postpartum doula. Jasmine was drawn to work with new mothers because of her own experience with the postpartum period was less than ideal. She has also struggled with many aspects of motherhood and wishes to help other mums be more supported and thrive in the postpartum period. Jasmine only recently discovered that she may have ADHD and knowing the symptoms of ADHD, even without a diagnosis, is already helping her to understand herself. Her own mothering and how she is able to successfully start a business, secure clients, and build a following online with ease but then also struggle to tidy her own kitchen bench, which is its the simple things that get us, isn't it, Jasmine? Uh
1: (laughs) It's the most frustrating.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is, and it's the simple Kmart clock, you know, the yellow and um, blue clock that I posted about. I bought it online, can't put it together. I reckon a small child (laughs) could put that together. And, you know, my husband who says he doesn't have ADHD also has left it there and is not. Like he can do it, don't get me wrong. But just getting started on doing it, so it's like the most simple thing that will enable us to keep all of our children in bed. Hopefully, touch wood till six a.m. And we're just not actioning it. Yeah. So it's always those things that get us. Yet we, um, you know, work at a fairly high level. But it's the little things. So welcome back, Jasmine. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So we are going to do a very tiny recap. Part one, you can always go back and have a listen to what part one was. Was it was about the lead up to an appointment. So Jasmine had, I thought it was a funny story. She was on Instagram and she kept getting all these ADHD algorithms and someone, and she posted and said, I'm getting all these algorithms, you know, I might have ADHD, ha And someone actually commented and said, or oh, you might just have ADHD, which sparked off some of this journey that we're going to get to. So the first episode is all about the lead up to Jasmine's diagnosis appointment, the lead up to why she thought she had the symptoms, how to prepare for an appointment, And we went over, you know, some of the things that can trip up some of the ADHD mums, like camouflaging, prompting, or, you know, calendars, systems, structures. What have you set up over the last 30, 40 years to, I suppose, help you live your life more effectively or mask the symptoms? So you look like you're always on time, but you've only got 17 alarm systems. You know, you've got a high level of anxiety and some of the gaslighting that can happen when you talk to other people about it. So that is all in the first episode. What we are going to get to now is Jasmine has had the appointment yesterday. So Jasmine, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on, you know, this sounds really silly, but it is important, like time of day, how you're feeling in the lead up, how long it took you to get there, like what was your mood like, how did it look before you arrived and when you arrived to this appointment?
1: So my appointment had to be rescheduled. I was really lucky that I only had to wait an initial about two months For my initial appointment date, but a week before it was meant to happen, my nana, very elderly nana passed away and I had to go to Sydney for her funeral and it was on the date of my appointment. And my nana was 95, so it was expected and we were waiting for it. And so I probably was a little bit more upset about my appointment getting missed than I was about my poor nana dying. But I honestly thought, imagine if I had been waiting six months for this appointment like so many women I hear about. I just I couldn't imagine having to cancel. Anyway, I got lucky again. I just had to wait another month. So I finally had my appointment yesterday. I was really nervous. I have been so overly conscious of all of my ADHD symptoms since realizing I may have it. And that has kind of intensified it. So it's like now I'm doing the same things, but I am aware of them. And then kind of either I'm berating myself or I'm just feeling sorry for myself straight after. So even just deciding to leave, I had to drop something to my husband on the way to the appointment. And so therefore, I had to leave one hour early. Now it was only a seven minute drive to my husband's work and then another. 10 minutes to the psychiatrist office, but I couldn't pop that into a Google maps. I like, I just, it's that, that part of my brain that's like, Ooh, uh, mm, Oh, you don't know how to do this. So just leave an hour early. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. And so it's that whole thing of you're either an hour early or you're late. And so as I'm driving on, I'm kind of, can I ask you a quick question?
0: Mm. Sorry, Jasmine, you know I interrupt with lots of questions because I've got burning ones already, but we will get to it. I was just wondering, with that lack of ability to, you know, how you had just left it an extra hour early knowing that you definitely didn't need that much time, is it a working memory issue in that you can't put the addresses in and flick between Safari and Maps and messages to figure out where you've got to be and then remember the steps in your mind, right, and you almost need three phones to be able to coordinate that, or Is it like a spatial thing? Because I suffer from this too, so I'm actually just interested because that is like I feel like I hate using the I word, but I do feel a bit like an idiot (laughs) when I can't do simple tasks like that.
1: For me, it's I don't know the name for it, but it is I've been listening to a, a book by Gabor Marte called Scattered Minds and it's all on ADD, and he mentioned in one little bit he talked about It's almost as if people with ADHD believe in magic and I laughed so much when I heard that and when I mentioned it to my mum who has undiagnosed ADHD, she laughed so much too. So that's why I'm usually late because I just believe in magic that everything is 15 minutes drive away. And that weird little part of my brain that can't just acknowledge that there is a thing called distance and time and that you can check it it just can't acknowledge that. It just thinks that, I don't know. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. like, I'm living in a different world to everybody else. And it just stops me from actually checking. So I have made multiple appointments in the past where I have just assumed it is a 15 minute drive between those two places. Like I have no concept. Yeah. I don't have any spatial awareness. I don't know how to get places by memory. I always have to use maps. And I couldn't, yeah, like I I can't remember, I may have lived in one suburb and moved to another suburb, but for the life of me, I don't know how long it takes to drive between those suburbs. And I tend to just assume everything must be about 15 minutes away. And I've made appointments and then got in the car, popped it into maps and gone, oh, that's actually a 30 minute drive. So it's the inability for me to, like, I can know things intellectually about planning, but I can't implement them. Something stops me from implementing them. And I think it's this strange, I don't know. I I really, it's like hard to put my finger on it, except for when I heard that whole believing in magic, like you'll just magically get there on time. For me, yesterday was like in reverse. It was just, you have to get there on time and you know yourself. So just leave an hour early. Don't even look at the maps because then you'll know, then it'll tell you the real time and that won't be your real time. That won't be what, you won't achieve that. Just leave an hour early. And yeah, it's like a full lack of trust in myself, in my ability to to map something out spatially and time-wise.
0: I just find it so interesting how a lot of us have got the same symptoms, but the thought pattern behind it is slightly different. Mm. Because were you the person that said to me, That you and your husband will both say, oh, we've got one car and I need to go here and he needs to go there and you both tell each other, but then won't know it's Thursday. Was that, that was
1: you, wasn't it? Yeah, like there's two parts, there's four different parts of my brain and they don't connect.
0: Yeah, so in all honesty, I was actually having like lunch with my husband about 20 minutes ago and he said to me, can you just put that food in your mouth? Like I was just standing there playing with it and then I said, oh, I've got to go to the toilet first. Then I walked off. Then I came back. It was cold. He's like, you should reheat that. And then at some point I looked at the clock and went, oh my God, I've got to interview Jasmine in like 10 minutes. And he's like, I know you told me that this morning. And I said to him, it was like, I didn't know it was today, but I did know it was today because I told you it was today. Yeah. Because I'm, and I said, I'm completely shocked and surprised. It's one o'clock. I've got to move. And he's like, but you told me that, how do you not know you knew it was on? And I'm like, I just forgot that it was on. And he's like, but he- it's, it's a confusing thing. I suppose it's, you know, it's your brain, it's confusing. But I always think about that scenario where you said that, you will know, you'll both check with each other about the car use but then you won't know what day it is physically. Like it's a different way. Anyway, look, we should. I digress. I'm sorry. No, it's Jasmine. okay. So you get there. You've you've left. You've left early. You're you're getting there. Um, you arrived. I assume you made it on time because you were freakishly early by the sound of it.
1: Yeah, it allowed me to not be able to find the right car park. It was this huge center, and it was weird. And I blame the signage. Like it felt like they took away. They had parking one, two, three, and four this way. And then from that point, parking four, which I needed to find, was not mentioned. And I felt like there was a conspiracy, like, have they done this to confuse the people heading to the psychiatrist? Just to really like weed out the ones that really are legit. It was very funny. So I had plenty of time to do a couple of laps, found the park, got in there, very anxious, walked in. The psychiatrist was a woman. She's very approachable, very nice asked me, did you have any trouble finding the place? I was like, of course I did, but (laughs) all good. And then she asked, what was I here for? What's my motivation? And so I said, I want the diagnosis. So the
0: receptionist asked you that?
1: No, this is the psychiatrist, straight in.
0: I was going to say, holy shit, why (laughs) did the receptionist ask you that? Sorry. Why are you here? Sorry, I was like so confused. So this was their female psychiatrist. Did she do any rapport building or did she just go... Oh, she did. Okay, so you did a few niceties. Hello, how are you? How was the weather? How was your drive?
1: Yeah, really just, uh, she pulled herself up to say, did you have trouble finding this place? It was almost like she kind of went, oh, that's right, I'm with an ADHD patient. I've got to ask this question. (laughs) That's what it felt like. And then straight into like, what are you here for? What are your motivations for this appointment? And I said, I want a diagnosis first and foremost as a validation for everything that I'm going through but I would also really like to be able to try medication. I need life to be easier. I need my brain to function the way apparently other people's do. And so that kind of set the tone for the appointment because she had already looked through my forms and so straight away she said, we are going to have a hard time getting you an official diagnosis because of the lack of symptoms that you remember and that your mother remembers from your childhood yeah and she then noted from my forms she said i don't think i've ever seen as many like of the symptoms ticked in someone who didn't have anything obvious in childhood so my kind of forms the way i my life has gone is I tick every single box for inattention right now in adulthood but in childhood I can't remember my mum can't remember and we don't have any report cards or anything um so but there's so there's nothing there that we know that we can remember that shows inattention in those primary school years so the whole then appointment was spent her trying to tease that out. So let's back
0: up one second. Sorry, Jasmine, I've got so many questions. Go for it. So did you have to write down like childhood symptoms or did you have to write them down? Was she looking for proof? Was she, she wanted to see like a report or did you just not put any symptoms as a kid?
1: Yeah, right. So this is what I definitely established early on. Memory would have been fine. So if I had remembered being in trouble all the time for talking too much, for example, that would have been enough for her. She wasn't looking for evidence. She just wanted to know. So if I had been able to remember something. She just wanted you to like tick a box. Yep. So there's obviously like in the
0: DSM, which is the diagnostic criteria, there's clearly a childhood tick that you have to have ticked. Yeah to then create a diagnosis. Yeah, you have
1: to have
0: several. And you weren't ticking that box and she probably can't legally do it. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, so this is what I established. So I went in with the assumption based on what I'd heard that symptoms evident in childhood from like that you can remember or that you have evidence of from teacher reports or anything like that, My understanding was that that will help towards a diagnosis. I didn't realize, and now I know it's actually vital for a diagnosis. So, in order to have a diagnosis, you must have several, so three, I guess, or more, DSM criteria. So, it's the hard part is, is like the DSM doesn't capture a lot of the nuanced stuff stuff that we talk about, the things that are associated with ADHD, the way the way people are starting to understand that girls with ADHD think and operate, things like that aren't um, in the DSM. So the DSM is quite clear cut. And so if you can't at least remember three of those points from your childhood, then you cannot be diagnosed and you cannot have um, stimulant medication. Okay,
0: so for all the listeners out there who are thinking, what is a DSM and what are these women talking about? The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So basically it's how they diagnose. When you do those really weird questions, the DAS-21, a lot of them have done that. That's the depression and stress disorder called the DAS-21. You might do a K10, which is again about anxiety, depression, stress. So basically to hit clinical depression, you need to hit a certain amount of those criteria to fulfill it. The reason being is because they need to create some kind of like structure around this, right? Because otherwise, especially with a controlled substance, to be fair to the psychiatrist for a moment, if you get someone that just goes, yeah, I feel like she, she's she got it. And it's like, they're not following anything. It would just be horrendous, right? Like, you know, you just be trusting people blind. So of course they need to create a structure. It's the same with medical stuff. You can't just hand out things or diagnose things that you has to be tested. So the problem with it is that the wording has to be so bang on to get everybody. And in the past, it has been definitely skewed towards, you know, the eight-year-old boy, right? So we are looking at some of it, in my opinion, of the criteria for the kids that are under 16. So I think it's, they need, they like to have six or more symptoms when you're under 16, I think it is. So, for a female, they might not be able to identify. Reason being is because they might not have the memory. It might be kind of wiped out. There might be trauma. They might think that's normal, depending on the school that they went to as well. Their parents might tell them that they were fabulous, the teachers were wrong. They might have issues with authority. Like, you have no idea. Like, people remember different stuff. I, I honestly believe that. If I had to catch up with my friends from primary school, we disagree on who was, who was a good teacher and who was a fun person and who wasn't. We disagree all the time. It was like 30 years ago. So if you're creating symptoms that are often picked up in boys, like disruptive, then you're asking women to remember 30 years ago and whether they were told they were too chatty. I, just, I have a real problem with that just to start with. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to rant this episode. It's bad, <laughs> but, so I can
1: understand
0: why you couldn't think of the symptoms and then I suppose, so you obviously sounded like you were quite honest in your form, in your questionnaire that you sent in. And then it sounds like she was trying to get you to say something so she could tick you off because she's looking at the symptoms going, I'm pretty sure she has ADHD, yet I can't prescribe or diagnose until I get my my pen in this box, which is a childhood symptom box. Is that correct? Yeah. Did you think, I might just say I was a bit chatty, I might say I got into trouble, were you? were you honestly thinking, I'm going to be so honest because I need to know if I really have this or
1: not. Like, where was your head at? I think my head was at, I guess, because I hadn't prepared for that piece of information about how it must be present. Yeah. My understanding was that it would help. And I thought given I ticked every single box and that it is impairing my functioning now, I thought that would be enough. I also think I thought she was going to Work some magic. I thought she was going to ask questions that hadn't been in the forms that I hadn't thought of that would make me go, "Oh, yeah, well, that, yeah, it was like that." Or you know, I just oh, so so you thought the psychiatrist
0: might be able to problem solve or be creative, yeah. which was complete. They are the least problem solving <laughs> person I have ever met. Like yeah. honestly, like you give them a problem. Like I said to one of them yesterday, because you know, I ran out of meds and the psychiatrist was away. It was a complete, oh, it was a fuck up, honestly, on their end. Like where's the reminders or anything? Anyway, I've out of medication and then they give me some telehealth had to wait 10 days. So I'm like unmedicated. And anyway, then they give me this guy and I'm thinking surely he's better than my usual dude. And he gets on and I thought, oh no, I don't think he's going to be. And then he starts asking me some questions. I really just wanted the script, to be honest. But then he actually was asked me a few more questions than the other guy. And I thought, oh, look, I'll give this guy a go. You know, maybe he looks so deceptive. He might be all right. And he, and he said to me, oh, how are your symptoms of, of anxiety? And I said, well, not very good. And he goes, oh, you seem suicidal. Are you suicidal? And I said, well, I've got PMS, but I think that's pretty standard. <laughs> wow. Then he's like, he was all over the place. And then I ended up saying to him, I do think, And he goes, oh, so you do have severe anxiety then. I said, well, I didn't think I had anxiety until I went on medication and I knew what it felt like to not have anxiety. Mm. I wouldn't say the anxiety solved because I'm aware now that this is actually a very uncomfortable. Anyway, he goes to me, can you explain to me the anxiety? And I said, "Uh, stressed, can't sit down, impatient, agitated, going over and over a to-do list, can't be present, can't sit down with my kids, snap at my husband, road rage. Like I just started like listing it off, right? And he looks so overwhelmed. Wow. And then he goes, oh, "This is probably just ADHD. It's <laughs> like, thanks, genius. <laughs> I was so pissed off with him. Like, thanks. Why ask me questions if you don't know anything? Because I said to him, Maybe I should try some anti-anxiety. He goes, Oh, I don't know. Like he's just, it's anyway. I'm I feel like I'm gonna fuck okay, it. anyway, so back to you. Now I did have a quick look here. It says to me on Google that not all adhd adults have symptoms in childhood so Mm. check those out apples out that's a great start the other thing is as well there's two categories here so you've got inattention six symptoms you've got to have so you've got to have like sustaining attention which you might not realize you know listening following instructions organizing tasks reluctant to engage in tasks loses things distracted forgetful that's the inattention ones which remember ADHD in women don't always present with because they get anxiety and become perfectionists. So that's actually, they mask over the top of it. So that's actually, like, I don't think I did many of them, if I'm honest, but I also functioned with incredibly high anxiety. And then there's hyperactivity, which is six or more symptoms, which is just basically an eight-year-old boy, can't sit still, runs around, climbs, unable to play or engage in quietly, is on the go, talks a lot, blurts out answers, they really should change that DSM because I can see why you got tripped up, especially if you were being honest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the psychiatrist, Bev, we're calling it, she said she truly believes that it is a spectrum, like ASD, like autism spectrum disorder. She believes ADHD is on a spectrum. And she said she believes that I just sit somewhere on the spectrum where childhood was fine and that with each additional, and this was my theory already prior, with each additional responsibility in life, my executive function suffered more and more and more. So I know that my anxiety really peaked as soon as I kind of moved out of home. So that was when I stopped being completely taken care of. So unfortunately that was at 17, you know, not 12. So it was really tricky she was trying. She said, did your parents do everything for you. Is that why you never lost your hat? You never like, I have no recollection of like always losing my hat. And I said to her, well, we didn't have much money. And so my mom couldn't afford the school branded hat. So I had the $4 hat from the chemist. So it looked different to every single other child at school. (laughs) I was like, so nah, I didn't lose it. (laughs) I don't think I could have. Everyone would have known that's Jasmine's hat. And she said, "Look, did your mum take care of everything for you?" And at first, I was like, "Well, maybe because she was pretty much only a stay-at-home mum in primary school, but she did have a undiagnosed ADHD." And so then the psychiatrist was like, oh, "Well, it's pretty unlikely that she was doing everything for you." And then when I talked about high school and how my mum would always like make us late for School. And so I was, by that point in high school, I probably would have been, I would, yeah, I was already well and truly the kind of perfectionist. So I was waiting at the door for mom saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So then the psychiatrist is kind of like, oh, yeah, well, there's no way you could have got yourself ready, just ready for school in high school if you were being completely taken care of in primary school. Like by that point, you would have started to drop the ball. And so it was tricky. And I, I went in thinking that that wasn't a deal breaker. And I also went in thinking, yeah, that she would have some magic questions that really got to the bottom of it. And then that didn't happen. But yeah, she believes it's on a spectrum. It's tricky. I'm starting to wonder.
0: (laughs) What I feel like with you, Jasmine, to be honest, because the first episode where we went through, we went through, you know, your childhood, you talked a lot about going, you know, from high school to uni and about your upbringing, you know, your mom and the undiagnosed ADHD that she has or had. It feels to me like you have a lot of masking. This is just my personal like opinion from interviewing you. Like I, you know, this is personal opinion. Because when I look at these symptoms that you haven't ticked in childhood, I'll level with you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tick them either. I didn't lose my hat because my mum would charge me $30 every time I lost it. So I was overzealous, over worried, overly anxious, over perfectionistic. I had a high amount of pressure from my parents to be perfect, to, to be the best. So yeah, I look back and I think, yeah, I didn't, I didn't display any of those symptoms pretty much. However, I was also smart. So I could have been looking out the window three quarters of it. I still would have been able to put it together. I remember it being boring. School was boring for me, especially in primary school. I remember thinking, how could we like fast track this? I'm so bored. I remember just getting everything quickly. Some people who are quite clever and quite conscientious can get through. They're not detected. They're not behind. Yeah. And behind the scenes, they're actually stressed. Their little internal psychological system is running strong to keep them ahead. There's society pressure that you need to be up there with the best. You might be getting pressure from your parents, from yourself, then it creates internal pressure. You have got perfectionistic traits with ADHD. So all that means is that you try harder. Even with my own psychologist, I struggled to get a lot of those symptoms through. We had to unpack it, tease it out, which is what you're referring to. Except he knew me. He knew me for two years, so it was easy. So I can see how you've ended up with this result. Because, and again, so I'm getting a bit amped up, is because I'm looking at it on my phone of the symptoms you're supposed to have had and I'm like, well, I don't have any of those and let me tell you the ADHD medication works textbook for me and it's been life-changing. So the DSM for me has to bloody
1: change. Uh, I completely agree and I also think the problem is just because stimulants have street value and that's pretty much what my psychiatrist alluded to, that because it has street value, they have to tick more boxes in order to prescribe it. So if you go to your GP and say, I'm depressed, you don't have to prove depression. You don't have to prove how long it's gone for. You don't have to have clinical depression to get antidepressants. You can say, I'm anxious and you can get 10 milligrams of citalopram on the spot. So this is what I'm really struggling with now. And I came home in tears yesterday because I thought, so I have what they can see is executive function issues. That's clear, but I can't get the drug that helps with executive functioning because I didn't have symptoms that impacted my childhood, impacted my life in childhood. So it works a really different way to the other kind of disorders and that's really hard to stomach. So I have kind of no choice now, but well, I've got a couple of choices now, but I think I'm going to have to go back to the GP and ask to go back on a, on an SSRI, an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication because I can't cope otherwise. I'm not coping. And No, Jasmine. Oh, this
0: is just, this is killing oh. me. I wish we weren't being recorded because I just really, Jasmine, this is no. Okay, this is what is wrong with the whole system oh. because we're pushing the symptoms out, right, for ADHD mums. I don't do this for any kind of money or profit or like I don't even want people to know who I am. I've got no interest. None, none at all. I mean, I only do the the Instagram stories because the social media lady said to me, "People want to get to know you more. This is about building awareness." What I'm interested about is is throwing out the symptoms so women and mums keep trying because often they get told no, and then this is how people end up getting misdiagnosed. And then in two or three years' time, you'll come back around and I'll see you somewhere, and I'll go, "How are you going?" And you'll go, "Terrible. I feel like shit." Everything's gotten worse. I'm being a terrible mother because I'm so unhappy, right and it's like the answer's there, and you went to get it and you got turned away i yeah, I'm so sorry I this just fucking great uh-huh. yeah.
1: it was and you know what it, it it's a fifty minute appointment, and the kind of the answer was already on the table from the start, so I did try and talk to her a little bit about the biggest, one of the biggest reasons I kind of wanted medication at the end is for, is, it's for the home life, for the, for the mothering. But she already knew that from my forms. Like she said, yeah, I know. I read that you sometimes forget to feed your kids food. Like, but when I got home and I of course burst into tears to my mom and was saying like the real hard truth of what my mothering looks like right now, i my mom said, did you say this to her? And I said, well, I said them all kind of um, gentle stuff, like how I'm never fully present with my kids. So they don't get a fully present mum. They don't get someone who is willing to sit down and play, or able to sit down and play like cars because that's too boring for me. And I'm looking at all the things I need to do around the house. Like, So I told the psychiatrist that, but again, it didn't make any difference. So there was no point going further, but the further stuff is like, two nights ago or something, I was screaming at my kids because I have this, like, what I now know to be a lack of impulse control when I am overstimulated and and literally like a friend drove my husband home from their place and I didn't know that he, I thought he was getting a cab. So I'm being my kind of like crazy self, just getting irate rate With the kids, and I rape with the dog, and you know, just being mean. And then I hear noises, and I hear A voice that is my husband's and I was like oh my god someone's witnessed this oh my god someone's just heard me and I was mortified and thank god I opened the front door and thank god it was a very close friend and I just like grabbed her and I was like oh my god thank god you're here like please help and the kids all kind of like the kids ran in and were being crazy and I just looked at her and she just saw the absolute sheer desperation in my eyes and it's like that I don't think that would have made a difference to the psychiatrist but that's what really breaks my heart is like, yeah, you're right. Like an antidepressant, it might take the edge off, but it's not fixing the actual problem, which is all of the inattention, the impulse control, the overstimulation.
0: Oh, the racing thoughts, the anxiety, the huge heavy metal that you've probably got going in your brain. Yeah. And I think this is why it shits me because, you know, I posted on Instagram about how, I've possibly apparently got this heart condition. Anyway, so I went off medication. Well, I firstly had a breakdown in the hour and a half back from Brisbane because I realized it would affect my ADHD medication. I went off it the next day. And my husband said to me, he's like, You can't, you can't come off it. He's, and he was the person, this is, don't get me wrong, this is, the, this is my hubby who owned a gym for 15 years. He doesn't take Panadol, he doesn't drink. Like, he's a professional bodybuilder man. Like, he is a freak on health. And he, this is the man who said to me, I don't think you should try medication. Let's do all the life stuff, life stuff first. Did that, didn't help. We did all the counseling, we did all the changes. And then, and you know, my psychologist said to me, I think you're kind of severe. Like, he, you know, let's just at least try something. And now, as soon as I stopped taking medication, the man that said to me, I don't want you to take medication. I don't want you to take it every day is saying to me, Jane, you need to be medicated. So because it's a different, and because it's such a quick thing, it's not an SSRI. We have to take it months to build up this huge thing. You get all these side effects. You either know it works or it doesn't. So to not take it one day when he's had, my hubby's had, you know, two months with me being on the right dosage of vivance, he's like, who the fuck is this woman? Because I was irate, angry, you know, just irritated, pissed off. And I was like, I'm being a shit wife and a shit mother and I didn't even know how bad it was until I got out of it and then went back in. So it's got a huge impact on us as women, our families and our kids. It really fucks me off. This is going to be a really explicit episode. Jasmine, I want you to go back. What happened at the end? Did she say you can come back if you think of some symptoms?
1: Yeah, I am going to call my primary school and see if they have archived uh, uh, on one of the adhd facebook groups people said that their primary school had archived report cards the psychiatrist did say look do that but they're probably going to say very bright a pleasure to have in the classroom <laughs> um i talked to mom about like okay which one of my primary school teachers are still alive and would remember me and <laughs> um and we did think of one person who i thought Oh yeah, I wasn't his favorite, so maybe he gives a different idea. Because you know, my mum is like, "You were fantastic!" Like, I don't want to think of all the bad things. You know, <laughs> like think of the bad things, mum. Um, she did. So the psychiatrist did say she first said, "Yep, yeah, you go to an executive functioning coach, and there's apparently a good one in Brisbane. Look, who knows how much that would cost?" and I really look at, if it it was affordable, I'd be willing to try it. But my problem, and I explained to her, my problem isn't not knowing the tools to use. Like, uh, you know, I know there are lists. I know there's reminders. I know, but, but when it comes to implementing them, like, like an example, I gave her, you know how some people do, um, they say, okay, you draw a square, it's a grid of four boxes and, you have urgent, non-urgent, important, unimportant, and then you, you place all of your to-dos in those categories. I have a like an absolute genuine struggle with deciding what is important, unimportant, urgent, and non-urgent. Like the washing needs to be done. I don't know is that urgent? It feels urgent to me. Other people might not categorize that as urgent. I might have washing next to doing uh, something that's on the computer that's due tomorrow. And I can't, can't, like, I can't figure it out because, well, if, if I don't do the washing now, then, you know, it carries over. And so maybe it is urgent. And so this is, it's like, I can know the tool, but I actually need someone sitting beside me to say, that's not urgent. You can we can leave that one off. Like, so it really depends how hands on this executive functioning coach is. Jasmine, this
0: is, this is ADHD you're
1: describing. Yeah.
0: I mean, I did a whole episode on that and it's called, why am I never doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Like literally I've done an episode on that. And, and I mean, look, it's a great episode, but it's, it's more about just starting somewhere because we don't really know how to prioritize very well. The house is on fire. But my kid needs its shoe done up. Which one will I do? (laughs) Yes. And you stand there for so long that actually you could have done both and you haven't decided yet. That's ADHD. Yeah.
1: Oh, I I would do I'd be doing the shoelace because that's the easier job. And my husband would be going, Do we need do you need to be doing that right now? And I'd be going, Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. (laughs) So silver lining, not really a silver lining. A, a plan B slash C. There's this drug that is less regulated. It doesn't have street value and it's called adamexetine. And it is a bit like, it works a bit more similarly to like an antidepressant where it it's one a day. It would take a few weeks to take effect, but it's far more subtle. So it does work on, it. I read about it, it's noradrenaline reuptake inhibitor. So they give these ones to people who can't take stimulants for whatever reason, but it could be more expensive because it would have to be a private script because, again, I wouldn't have an official diagnosis. So I have to, at least for the short term, I have to kind of talk to my GP about what's going to have the biggest impact on my life right now, this adamexatine or an anti-anxiety or antidepressant. What's going to really quickly make me stop screaming at my kids? And then, then long-term, yeah, what the heck can I do?
0: Okay. Make sure you ask if you go down that, that route that if you do get a diagnosis, what will you then do? But I'm just saying I, I talk to a lot of ADHD women all the time and a lot of them will say I went there and I got the anti-anxiety medication because I couldn't get anything else and I was gaslit everywhere and then I ended up in another whole problem. So just be aware of that. And I know you just want a quick, like I'd be, like you've waited for that appointment, right? You waited for your mum to come back from overseas to talk to her. You booked the appointment, your mum, your nan passed away, which is, Sue, I'm really sad, sorry about that. That's a shit set of circumstances there, right? You finally got your appointment and then you haven't got what you needed. What would be the wait period if you went back and saw her and, and maybe you and I offline or online whenever can go over masking, because I think feel like if we went over masking with ADHD and you and I were to have a chat, I don't think we're dissimilar in our childhood. I don't. I honestly don't. This is probably why I'm getting a bit emotional because I feel like we're probably not dissimilar. And I ha- was very lucky to have a psychologist I'd seen for a long time, hold my hand and persistently step me through it where I was going, nah, nah. So I'm thinking if you and I could un- unpack what a day looked like knowing that I have diagnosed ADHD. I have three kids with ADHD. My brother has ADHD. My dad had ADHD. My grandma had ADHD. Like I come from some pretty heavy ADHD gene pool, very confident that I have it. I think it would be interesting to see how you and I would present if we were to compare childhoods and how we were at school because you talked in your first episode about you at school and at uni and I thought we were similar. So I'm a little perplexed by some of what you've said, because I'm looking at you going, I actually know a lot of your history. You told it to me and we've spoken offline and we've messaged a lot. And I'm like, I, I can't see you not having those childhood symptoms, but what I can see is that you haven't seen the masking that's taken place and, and the structures that you've given yourself because you're smart. That's what I think you can't see.
1: Yeah. I said to her, to the psychiatrist, I had a deep respect for adults and authority. So I know that there were times, like I remember times being told to, you know, like, Jasmine, stop talking. But, and I would be able to, I was able to pull myself up. And I said, the other thing is, I know I got away with, because I was a good student, I was a goody two-shoes. I think I must've enjoyed learning. Like, I think I've always enjoyed learning. So I probably had that kind of focus, because I was enjoying myself, and I remember having thoughts like, "I get away with, say, whispering to my friend because the teachers like me because I'm likable and I'm smart, and because when they do pull me up, I, I stop. I didn't have that hyperactivity of of a couple of boys in my class who yet yeah, couldn't stop, so they would like stop, you know, Ben, stop talking." And Ben would go, okay, but then Ben would start again. I didn't have that. I didn't have the hyperactivity. And I remember other kids going, but Jasmine was doing it and the teachers liked me and they let me get away with things. I know in high school, like it was like the year 11 exam or something, it was like year 11 or 12. And the teachers had like a good sense of humor, I guess, for the clever kids because they, one of them, one teacher, she put our names in the final exam so, like the the sets of couples, like the boyfriend girlfriends that had spent the whole time chatting and disrupting the class by sitting next to each other, and she wrote like you know Jasmine and boyfriend. are, uh, so this was a maths question. Jasmine and boyfriend are buying a house together, and what is their mortgage if it, you know x equals y? They had this sense of humour about it, but it was obvious. Like we were disruptive. Like I, you know, there was the evidence. But we were clever kids, so the teachers, I don't know, they were affectionate towards me, whereas they weren't affectionate to Ben and Brendan who were, yeah, running up the walls. So Disruptive. Yeah, and the psychiatrist said, right, okay, so you said you were chatty, you said you talked a lot. Were you always getting in trouble for it? And I was like, no, that's the thing. So that's the difference.
0: Oh, come on. This is just... This is not progressive, but if we look at the definition of ADHD, this is where I think people get confused. ADHD, if you Google it, it says it's marked by an ongoing pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. Okay, but flip it around the other way. I was very hyper-focused on school. I reckon you were too. If I'm hyper-focused on something or if you're at your job, Jasmine, as a doula, where you are on and that's your passion – can you sustain attention? Yeah.
1: With my Apple watch, I am.
0: <laughs> are you up to date? Are you conscientious? Are you looking at the wall? Are you looking at the baby coming yeah. out? Like I think when we are, it's it's, and this is the thing, it's not in attention all the time. I actually have an incredible attention span. So do my kids. I post about them playing Uno all the bloody time. All they want to do is play Uno. It just means that we don't, we don't have attention on the right things at the right time. We will do up a shoelace instead of putting out a fire. That's all that means. I can sit here on this podcast laser focused. I did three and a half hours of interviewing the other day, didn't move, didn't go to the toilet, didn't eat. I was completely with it. It's interesting to me. Then I left the house and I had to go do something and I couldn't even do a simple task because I was bored by it. Then I had to go do something else. I got irritated with my kids. I was just bored. And I was like, I just want to be interviewing somebody. I want to be learning something. I've always had a hyper focus on learning. And I reckon you have too. You've done like two uni degrees, right? You're very successful. You're very clever. We went over this in the last episode. So it's, I'm sure you could switch on and be conscientious when you need to. I've seen ADHD boys. They they can play PlayStation for like 10 hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can they sit and focus? Yeah, when they want to. So if you flip around and go, this isn't an eight-year-old boy that's not interested in school, this is a girl who's highly intelligent, she's got a thirst for knowledge, she's very conscientious, she doesn't want to let down her parents, and also she wants to be the good girl, she's perfectionistic, she's probably got an underlying anxiety, would you expect her to be disruptive? Yeah,
1: yeah no. exactly. this is my personal opinion. And it struck me when you said before, if you said impairs functioning or development. They're not looking at development. They are only looking at functioning. So I talked a lot, got told I talked a lot, but did I get in trouble for it? No. But did I develop anxiety because of that? Did I develop a self, the like severe self-esteem issues because I was told I was too bossy, too talkative, too much. And now I have a voice in my head that tells me to, not a literal voice, but a voice in my head that says, be quiet constantly. So they're not looking at that kind of development. They're not looking at neural development. So that is childhood.
0: Why would you have a constant voice in your head that you spoke about last episode that said you're being too much, you need to be more quiet, don't talk so much. Why would you have that if you hadn't have been told that many, many times? You may not remember, but that's a subconscious thing. You are obviously running around as a three year old with lots to say because someone has told you over and over again, Jasmine, be quiet. Mummy needs a break. Jasmine, stop talking. You know, you're supposed to be listening at school, sit on the mat. And maybe you were told gently, or oh, you know what else? ADHD? I'm bloody oblivious. I'm oblivious to people telling me what to do sometimes because I don't care. So I look back on my childhood. I can tell you I was never in trouble. I was an angel, angel student in my mind. Whether that's true or not, I don't know but I was very bossy in the playground. I had a lot to say. I was very loud, but I don't remember being disruptive at all, at all. I can fully understand why you'd be left in your position, but it's, it's, and it sucks that we have to keep trying. There was someone I interviewed the other day. She had like went to like three psychiatrists and she just persisted and persisted. And it was only because I think her mum was a health professional. And she said, no, 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 this is not right. You have to continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have a a very good GP that I think I could be pretty honest about this stuff with and I think I could have these conversations and say, yeah, like I get the criteria thing, I get the strict rules because Ritalin has strict value but I also believe my underlying problem is ADHD, not anxiety. I believe that my anxiety would reduce significantly with stimulants. And so, yeah, she may be able to find me somebody else. And I think that your experience is really good advice for everybody to at least have a few sessions with the psychologist that understands ADHD first so that you're not going to the psychiatrist appointment that you wait months and months for thinking they are going to do the job for you. It's like, it needs to be kind of, you need to know first, really.
0: One of my good friends up here, she listens to this podcast. She'll know who she is. We were, and I were having a chat and we were just having a coffee and you know, you always hang out with neurodiverse people when you're neurodiverse. And she was like, I think I might be neurodiverse. And I was thinking, I've known that for years, but you know, okay. And you know, her son is diagnosed and like, you know, the only reason that she's kind of looking into is because, of course, she's doing the interventions on her son and realizing they work for her. Surprise, surprise. Also, she had taken some of his medication by on purpose or not on purpose. Who knows? And she found it had a very calming effect. Weirdly, that's a quick way to figure it out. I mean, you do know pretty quickly because it is an ADHD Panadol in my mind, which again, again, I'm not a medical professional. I shouldn't call it that. But it does get you get a quick effect. So you do know pretty quickly, like I remember walking around going, everything's so quiet in here. Why is it so easy? Life's flowing. I wonder why there isn't more love. How can we include people? Geez, I love my husband. Like I just felt so calm and happy. And I was like, holy shit. And then it wore off. Anyway, so my friend said to me, look, I said to her, look, why don't you go see my mate on telehealth? He's all right, kind of thing and she said no no I I really want to get a proper diagnosis I want to see someone in person I want to sit down her husband doesn't believe in medication so she wanted to really have something solid to hand him because she didn't feel like he was really believing her so anyway so she goes up to Budrum she sees the psychiatrist got in pretty quick maybe that was a red flag for both of you Jasmine she got in pretty quick and she was pretty happy oh wow got in and I was like really got in Anyway, basically, he read out from Google, asked her questions. She's a nurse, so she already knew what they were, and she wanted him to validate her. She was looking for him to say yes and to explore it with her and talk about how it was impacting her life. She wanted to hear it, to feel it, right, for him to validate her, which I think was a mistake. I think she needs to validate herself is what I think she needs to do. But she walked away bitterly disappointed. He diagnosed her. But literally, he read from Google what she'd already read. There was no surprises. And then she said, oh, I already knew all that. And he just read it to me. And then he wrote me a script. And I was like, isn't that what you wanted? And she's like, no, I wanted him to confirm to me. I wanted to feel it. I wanted all the stuff. And I'm like, I think you're putting too much power into this guy. Like, he's just a dude. He's probably yelled at his kids earlier today. And he road raged at someone else. Like, he's just a person. (laughs) Yeah. So, and he probably gets it right and wrong. Like he's he's on Google, mate. The other route that you've got is to see a clinical psych and get diagnosed, like they call it a neurofirming assessment. Get ready to spend, you know, two and a half grand. You could take that back to the psychiatrist and they could help you with the masking. You could probably just do that in some straight sessions that wouldn't cost you two and a half grand. You could probably do it over, you know, a hundred dollar gap over three or four sessions with an ADHD female specialist, which, you know, is kind of what I did. But so, I mean, you could do that. You could do an assessment. You could do a couple of sessions. And if you were feeling not confident and you wanted to feel that validation, you could get the psychologist to write it on a letter. You know, I do see the childhood symptoms in this way. I've seen this before. Or you could go back to the psychiatrist and go, I've been thinking about it. And I've been talking to my mom and my sisters. And actually, this is, I do remember this. I do remember that. She sounds like she wants to tick it off. She's just trying to get you to say it and then go back and get the medication or you know you can go back to your gp and i suppose you've always got the option which i know isn't really one at the moment to do nothing like you do have some options here but it's a disappointing like i mean for the people on there on the end like we always do video but we don't air the video so i would say to people don't put on makeup who's going to judge you i've got a fucking terrible background here with my kids art shit that's everywhere so but i when i spoke to Jasmine in the first interview i thought she was quite bright and vibrant it was my impressions of her and then we get on the second one. And as soon as I looked at a video, I went, oh no, it's not going well. So I think you've got a bit of emotional kind of jet lag too. You, you know, you look tired, a bit beaten down, if you don't mind me saying. Like I think, you know, there's just a bit of a there's the high and there's the drop. And then of course I'm just telling you overwhelming options where you've got to do more things to get the result that you should have got anyway. So like, do you know what I mean? Like I also need to respect the fact that like I interviewed a naturopath the other day, and by the time she finished talking to me about all the stuff, and I love naturopaths, I was like, "That seems like a lot of work," and I didn't action any of it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, I feel for you.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think when something's impacting your current functioning so much, but you can't get the help you need because you weren't impacted in childhood, it's well, you were impacted, Jasmine. Yeah. Jasmine, you yeah. were impacted. <laughs>
0: your intelligence you were probably a really you're probably a a really pretty little kid too and I know it's not about physical looks (laughs) but I've got teachers and they said oh yeah a pretty little conscientious smart little girl probably got away with a little bit more and you probably you know were really interested in schoolwork and I'm sure you were inattentive elsewhere and also if you're very conscientious and you know your family don't have a lot of money would you lose your hat yeah that's violating the good girl code right there
1: And it's funny because things like having a messy bedroom—like, of course, I had a messy bedroom—and I remember that my mum doesn't remember it, but I remember it. But like, every kid has a messy bedroom, and so it's a lot of those things where it's like, if it didn't stand out to me at the time, and it didn't stand out to my family, I was the youngest of five, and by that point, probably nothing surprised my mum, and with her own. Well, she said herself that everything she saw me doing, she was just so impressed. There were things she was not able to do. And she probably lived vicariously through the successes of like all of her kids at different times. And it's hard work trying to look back at your childhood and like tease it out. And (laughs) it's almost like I've got to kind of ruin my childhood by going real deep and figuring out why, what things were wrong when I've spent my whole life going oh, I had an idyllic childhood it was lovely so it's, it's a hard pill to swallow
0: well you probably did and you know what else it sounds like it sounds like your parents were really like lovely people to be honest so they're probably just focused on the positives they were probably neurodiverse themselves so they're not seeing any of this as glaring flags they're seeing is this, this is normal behavior she's actually a little bit better than I was yeah because she's the youngest of five you didn't have a lot of money So everything's important. You're not going to lose your shoes at every park like my kids do because me, I'm such an idiot sometimes. I just replace them with another Kmart pair. And that's terrible for the environment and for bloody the poor child labor that do it. Like it's horrible. But I'm pretty sure if I said to my daughter, this is the only pair of shoes you're going to get this year, I reckon she'd hold on to them. It's a a different place now. It really is. But, you know, even all that anxiety, you know, you said all that anxiety came out at 17. Oh, yeah. That's really typical, ADHD. Yeah. And, you know, all that, you know, how you talked about it in the last episode about how uni was like unstructured and you just fell apart. And being at home and being at school was all structured and it was all short term and you knew what
1: you had to do. And I was just so taken care of. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing was expected of me growing up. Like, I remember I I just had to like I was picked, I didn't even have to take the bus, you know, like I got picked up by my parents. My dad waited in the car outside dancing until I finished because he had to take me to my next dancing appointment. I just, you know, like I just told my parents where they had to be and they were there. Like there was no, I didn't have to double remember things like I do now. And I said to the (laughs) psychiatrist, this is so funny. Like I feel like a bit like you where it's like, gosh, I sound up myself, but I said to my psychiatrist, yeah, uni, I stopped being, straight A student and I just started being an average student and she said like what was your GPA I said oh I only finished with a 5.1 I think and she goes but that's not average four's average which I don't agree with her because when I went to uni four was only a pass but it was just really funny that in her mind she was like that's still okay but it wasn't my potential like my potential was straight A's like i I should have, yeah, I should have been doing better, but I, I wasn't because suddenly I had to learn to pay bills and rent.
0: That's what I mean, though. And I think with ADHD, this is where girls can get caught out because they don't get picked up because they're conscientious and smart. Those particular girls are the ones that get through. But it also, if we look at your coping mechanisms, right? Let's have a look. You had, from what you said, great parents, you had really lovely family, right? So, your coping, for you as a child, probably was was it a good place. You were loved, you were safe. Your parents then were there when you needed them and you had a safe place to go. So if you've had a rough time at school, you can go home, shut your bedroom door, you are safe, you are loved, right? That's so important. So you've got that and you've got less to do because you're looking after yourself, right? As a child, you're still being independent. You're then going through high school, uni, You've still got only yourself to look after. yeah, you've got some you've got a job, you've got uni, you're okay. you can control this this is okay. You're also very clever. so you're still getting through a little bit more easily even if you are a little inattentive because they go over the concept, you're fine. you've just got to know it once. Then if you if you fast forward through now you've got two little people. you've, you've started a business, you've got two small people that rely on you heavily that are very young. You've also got a partner. You've got all the financial stress. You've got all the emotional stress. You've got no place to rest. You've got multiple people to look after. So, all you're doing is adding layers and layers and layers of stress and things to do on somebody who has to work, and I'm just talking shit, twice as hard as someone else with a neurotypical brain to remember it all. And your executive function isn't great because you have possibly have ADHD. So, you're just adding more and more and more and more and more layers. So, Yeah, if we talk about how it impacted you, it might be impacting you more now, but only because you have a ridiculous amount of stuff to do.
1: Yeah. And because you are very clever. So you've you've got to take that into account too. And the irony is I would say people who don't have ADHD would prescribe us taking on less stuff. Like, okay, well, if you struggle and you've got executive functioning issues, then don't start a business. (laughs) The problem is people with ADHD start the business. People with ADHD, like, say yes to that new opportunity. People with ADHD start a podcast. Before I had even an inkling that I had ADHD, I remember crying into my husband's arms one day and I said, I wish I was the person who could stop like adding things, who could just sit still and like figuratively and just do one thing for my whole life, but I'm just not that person. And that was like so pivotal for me. It was before even realising it was an ADHD symptom, acknowledging that I am innately driven and wired to do new things all the time. So it's a real cognitive effort for me to say no to something. So someone says, Do you want to have a play date? Yeah, I I do. Yep, let's let's take our kids and have a play, play date. Oh, okay, I've got that appointment at nine. So I could probably get there at 9.30. Oh wait, hang on. The appointment goes for an hour. Yeah, I'll get there at nine, like or 1015 or something like I'll give myself 15 minutes to get there. Like other people would go uh, I've already got an appointment in the morning and that might be a bit much, a bit, bit of a rush. And the other people would remember their toddler's nap time too. I just say yes, because I want to go see that person. Cause seeing people is fun. And then I'm stressed and I'm exhausted. And I feel stupid when my boy starts getting tired and grumpy and, and it's like a distant friend that says to me, Oh, what time's his nap? And I go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. His nap. Yeah. About now. And I feel like an idiot. So you can tell people with ADHD that they, you know, play to your strengths. Don't take some. Don't take quite as much on. But the problem is that's really quite impossible, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh,
0: I. You know what? I completely hear you. And you know, my psychologist said to me a couple of months ago, you know, you're probably not going to be that old lady that's going to be able to have a cup of tea and look at the water. <laughs> like that is not in your future. Can you imagine? And I think you need to have a look at hyperactivity, but look at hyperactive mind. Yeah. When they talk about hyperactivity as a child, I wasn't hyperactive physically necessarily that I remember. I was very active, but I wouldn't say I was like off my head. But what I would say is that I have a very hyperactive mind. I would stay up till midnight reading encyclopedias. Yeah, Is that normal? I don't want to use the N word, normal. Yeah. If you had have said to me, were you hyperactive? I would have said no. Yeah. But I do think staying up till midnight reading encyclopedias because I wanted to know whether the zebra Boys ever was bigger than the you know the females ever like that that's hyperactive the thirst for knowledge and i think you've also got very hyperactive brain which is what i have and i just jam pack it in so hard and then i'm so exhausted drag my kids along with it yeah and i can't stop and that there is the problem however again i don't want to rub it in medication jasmine will help you with that because we have reined it in and it is easier and that the drive for more, the drive for more becomes less. It It does. For me, it has on medication. So again, if you go and take an antidepressant and you just keep driving, the symptoms, yeah, like you might feel a little bit less sad at the end of the day, maybe, I don't know, but you will still drive yourself insane, which is what I do to myself, however medicated I am better. But the physical like literally, like in my body, I have to do something I have to be productive that has gone, but I will always be a driven person. I will never be out of chill chill, but I can be okay for a few minutes like I can read my kids a book, which I couldn't have done before, you know, like I like that that stuff you I am definitely a better version of myself because I am more patient, more calm, more like okay, we're gonna get there when we're gonna get there less less like you're getting in the way of my task list, four-year-old child, do what I'm asking because I need to go on the computer, you know, that's unrealistic, but that's what I would be like, like I've got to get this done and it's not even important, so I do think for you, just because we're so similar, this is why I'm getting upset for you because like this is freaking me.
1: Yeah, definitely, I have to explore a couple of avenues and yeah, just maybe be prepared to be a bit more confident whether that's through my own research and find a couple more things from my childhood that can be better indicators and then just be more confident about it and go, this is it, and give the answers they need really.
0: I reckon if we went through the symptoms, let's go through the inattentive symptoms and the hyperactive symptoms, you and I. And then I reckon you tell me what you were like, and I reckon we can we can figure out where the masking was. Where like I reckon we can like lift the lid off this. Yeah, yeah
1: this is what I want. this is what I expected from my psychiatrist.
0: <laughs> it's not not there. It's just not clear. And if you get clear on how it looked, because it's there, it's not not there. Then I reckon you can go. Yes, I did feel this. Yes, I did feel this. And if they ask you, you will be able to elaborate because you have reflected a little bit more deeply maybe that's it
1: yeah yeah and I'm just really glad that I'm able to kind of share this experience with other mums so that they don't do what I did and assume that somebody else will dig deep enough be confident yeah go in confident about your childhood symptoms I think was the biggest lesson I learned because potentially you know like I know some people it takes like a few appointments to get the diagnosis but the impression I got was kind of that because I ticked every single damn box and had so many symptoms now, that if I just backed that up with, say, three definite childhood symptoms, I reckon she would have been like, done. So, yeah, going in confident.
0: Mm. Let's finish up. Look, thank you so much, Jasmine. you always a pleasure to interview. I thank you for being so open and honest. I think this episode is going to be a cracker and if I hadn't well, I would never have gone to a psychiatrist straight up. I would never have been open. But if I hadn't have gone to my psychologist first and him done this with me, I never would have been here today, which is why I I've, I've gotten a bit emotional about it. But I I thank you so much for your time, thank Jasmine. You. If anyone would love to hear more, that would love to help us out a little bit, I'd love you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. The reason that I ask is because then it brings up ADHD mums in their criteria. So when people search ADHD in Australia, it comes up as opposed to a lot of the moment, UK and US ones. So it'd be great to get the Australian podcast up a little bit higher. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for you, Jasmine, as well.
1: Thanks. No worries.